Good morning, my friend. I hope you're doing well. It's Saturday morning, about 25 degrees outside at 6 o'clock in the morning. It's still pretty dark, but we are excited about a good Sabbath day out here on the river. And I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're up to, that God has his hand on you and that you have a day that gets some rest and maybe get prepared for Lord's Day tomorrow and, and just uh, pray blessings on your life. Friend, listen, it's self-brain surgery Saturday. And I have um, admittedly an incomplete and poorly developed thought, but I just want to share something with you. It came out of my Bible study in quiet time this morning. I'm reading Chris Hodges' new book. He's the pastor of our old church in Alabama, um, the Church of the Highlands. And he just released a book called Pray First. And it's kind of the motto of that church. They, they pray before everything. They prayed before services. They have a prayer team that prays during services. They do two day, two sets of 21 days of prayer and fasting during the year. They really, the whole church's mission is focused on prayer. And Chris Hodges always teaches that, you know, everything that comes good in your life comes out of prayer. Your ability to be resilient and deal with hard things and all of that comes from being grounded in prayer. And so, he always says, no matter what you're doing, what you're thinking about, what you're about to do, what you're going through, pray first. So I was reading that this morning and got to the chapter on the prayer of Jabez. And if you don't know about that, we'll talk about it in a minute. But I just I want to give you a couple of thoughts on self brain surgery Saturday here uh, about um, changing things based on this prayer idea that Jabez had in the Old Testament. Um, we're going to talk about this idea of severing six synapses. That's the self brain surgery operation for today. We talked about it before. But, of course, the synapse is this automated connection between cells in your brain so that you can automatically do certain things or um, run a set of chemical events in your brain or whatever without having to actively think about them. And a good example is when you use a keypad for the first time or a, a addition machine or, or a cash register or, or learning how to type or any of those things, you, you, the first time you use them, you have to look at the numbers, look at the keys and make your hands accomplish the type, the, the things that you want to type, right? Or the numbers that you want to input. But over time, you have to look less and less and less at the keyboard. And eventually you can do a whole bunch of calculations or typing without looking at all because your hands know where to go on the keyboard. They know the distance between L and H or A and E without you having to look down, right? It becomes automated. And that happens because of synapses. Like you can teach your brain how to wire certain processes and certain events, even certain thoughts and certain behaviors and emotions based on creating synapses through the magic of what we call neuroplasticity, you can create new connections in your brain, okay? But the problem is some of those synapses are not helpful. In fact, if you've had a, an abusive relationship in the past, somebody was harmful to you emotionally or physically or sexually or spiritually or something like that, then you may have a hard time creating new relationships in the future because if something about this new person that you're developing a relationship triggers something that reminds you of the past, you may even subconsciously, you may back away from forming new relationships or making new friendships because of some emotional event that's being triggered by a harmful synapse that even though the thing isn't real now, it's not happening now, it's harming you and keeping you from breaking through in new relationships, right? Those are synapses too. So we need to learn how to look for and sever, get rid of sick synapses that aren't helpful to us. And so I'm just going to talk for a couple of minutes today about this idea that came to me while I was reading in the prayer, the, the prayer of Jabez chapter in Chris Hodges' new book, and the idea of severing six synapses. And we're going to talk about changing your name here on Self Brain Surgery Saturday. As Lisa always tells us, we can't change our life until we change our mind. And the good news is, we can start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? 
If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. All right, sitting here having a cup of coffee with you. In fact, i got to reach over and get my next cup. Lisa bought me these, uh, me and Tata and her, these Ember coffee mugs. They keep your coffee hot so you don't have to have a cold cup of coffee and so i have um two of them actually <laughs> so <laughs> i did this thing where i wake up and i make all my coffee that i'm going to drink for the morning and i make them all at once and keep them hot on those ember mugs so i can sit here and get some work done without having to go back to the kitchen and get you know second third cup of coffee and i don't write in and tell me i shouldn't have three cups of coffee and especially don't write in and tell me i shouldn't have four because sometimes i do um may or may not occasionally have five but hey i've got to have some vices right um Anyway, um, sometimes I have to reach over and get that second cup, and it's the way my office is set up. I've got my computer in front of me. It's a MacBook Air um, and the microphone in front of me, and to the right, my mixer that allows me to bring the volume up and down and mute things, and if, if somebody says something inappropriate i can i can bleep them don't ever have to do that it's just a joke um but then past that's the ember mug so if i run out of coffee i have to reach past the mixer to get the mug and i have to look over there because i don't want to spill coffee all over my mixer right so anyway i'm having a cup of coffee black silk from folgers just a simple i'm a simple man i don't need anything fancy and uh i wish these were product placement ads i was getting paid for but they're not um so if Folgers, if you're out there and you want to sponsor the Dr. Lee Warren podcast, get in touch with me. But Black Silk's my go-to K-Cup, um, and I'm sorry I use K-Cups. I know it's not good for the environment, but um, we'll figure out a different way to move forward at some point. Um, anyway, long-winded uh, preamble here to the episode. Right, I told you this was poorly thought out, friend. Um, but I just I, I had this idea as I started today. I had something totally different in mind to talk to you about for Cell Brain Surgery Saturday. But I was reading in Chris Hodges' book, and he gets to First Chronicles one in this prayer of Jabez. Now, as a as a predicatory um, preface to this idea. There's a book that was written in 2000 by Bruce Wilkinson called The Prayer of Jabez. It sold 11 million copies. 11 million. And that book was used as sort of a formula that, that they used the prayer of Jabez as sort of a formula to almost dangle in front of you that if you learn how to pray this prayer that God would give you all these blessings. And, and some people took that book and used it sort of as a formulaic way to claim this prosperity idea out of the gospel where you can just pray, God, expand my territory and prosper me and all these things. And he would give you money or he would give you status or he would give you power or breakthrough in different areas of your life. And, and that is not what I'm talking about today, okay? You can read that book and you can 
read Bruce Wilkinson's work and, and there's some value in his book. I, I read it and I've used it, but it's not a formula. Okay. But the prayer of Jabez is not a get rich quick formula and it's not a name it and claim it gospel. Okay. I'll be the last one that will ever tell you that God will sort of act like a genie in the bottle. And if you just say the right combination of words and phrases, he'll do what you want him to. It's not true. Or I would still have my son, Mitch. Okay. It's not true that God will give you this unmerited favor over your life that involves painless circumstance and wealth if you just learn how to pray the right way. It's not true. So churches that teach you if you give enough, if you pray hard enough, if you do this, that, or the other thing, that God will always come through with financial blessing, it's not true. That, that, that's a false doctrine. So don't hear me saying that. So when I talk about the prayer of Jabez, it's with a little bit of sensitivity to the idea that some people might be aware of Bruce Wilkinson's work and might be thinking that when I talk about this, that it's some sort of prosperity, name it and claim it, blab it and grab it sort of idea, but it is not. So stay with me, okay? We're going to talk about the prayer of Jabez, but we are not talking about the prosperity doctrine, all right? And neither is Chris Hodges in this book. So I want to talk to you about the six synapse related to your name. Now, what in the world are you talking about, Dr. Warren? Well, let me tell you. In the old days, in the Old Testament days, people's names often were sort of prophecies by their parents over their life. You, you would have some circumstance or some history or some heritage, and they would give you a name that reflected that. And that was sort of the way you were birthed into the world is with this label on your life that was almost prophetic, right? And even going forward into the Middle Ages, a lot of people today have names like last names, like farmer or singer or planter or or fisher. And those names came out of the occupation that the people had. And they finally, just when they decided to take on last names, they said, well, my name's John and I'm a farmer, so I might as well call myself John Farmer, right? So the, the names sometimes came out of who we were, who we were predicted to be, who our family had been, circumstances that we were born into, or the way that we spent our time, the way that our families engaged and earned a living, right? So names were important. In biblical times, they were really important. So there's this interesting passage in First Chronicles where they're giving all these genealogies, and they list about 600 names. Okay, so-and-so had so-and-so, and they grew up and had so-and-so, and these guys were the sons of these guys, and their descendants were these people. And there's all these names, just name after name after name, and right in the middle of it, smack in the middle of it, there's one guy who gets his story told, First Chronicles 4-9. So there's all these begats and the sons of and descended by and all these names, 600 of them, but dead in the middle of it is a little story, a couple verses in First Chronicles chapter 4 of a guy named Jabez. And it says this, descended from the tribe of Judah, or Chris Hodges wrote, descended from the tribe of Judah, Jabez is introduced to us with two almost contradictory, almost contradictory pieces of information. And here's First Chronicles 4.9. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. His mother had named him Jabez, saying, I gave birth to him in pain. Okay, so Jabez is named Jabez because the Hebrew word for pain sounded like that. So he, his mom must have had either intense emotional pain or intense physical pain or something challenging happening around the time of his birth. And she labels this boy with her pain. So he's, he's given this name. My name means that I hurt my mom and my mom was suffering when I was born. 
not a good name. Chris Hodges writes about it. Reminded us about that Johnny Cash song, "Boy Named Sue." Right? He grew up being made fun of by his name because of his name. So imagine Jabez. He's given this name that sounds like the word for pain. And imagine how cruel the kids would have been teasing him because we we all do it, right? You make fun of people based on their name. Um, imagine Jabez running around. His name sounds like pain, and the little boys on the schoolyard say, "Hey, you're such a Jabez in the neck." Right. <laughs> right. So in ancient times, your name defined you in a prophetic way as you became what you had been labeled at birth. So imagine if your parents tell you that you're terrible, that you're painful, that your life made their life harder. I have a friend, actually, um, somebody we care about greatly, whose mother told her repeatedly growing up that she didn't want to have her. She was a mistake. She was a burden and that she had made her life harder and that she had had to lay aside her dreams because of this child being born. And so my friend grew up with her own mother labeling her and blaming her for her lack of success in her own life. So imagine the weight of that. Now, my friend shucked that, and she went on to be successful on her own, and she said, I'm not going to be labeled by that. But some people are, right? Some of us never escape our name. Now, I want to broaden that metaphorically a little bit here because I don't literally want you to go change your name. If your your name is Lola or your name is John or your name is Cliff or your name is Lee, I don't want you to change your name and start being called Sally or Bob or Bill or Ted. I said Bill and Ted. That must have been subliminal because the childhood movie Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, which was a lot of fun when I was in high school. But nevertheless, I don't want you to literally change your name, okay? The point I'm getting at today is the course of our life sometimes gives us labels that we put on ourselves or somebody else puts on us or the enemy convinces us are true, and we accept them, and we begin to make decisions based on those things in the past. And remember, we went into New Thing November with this idea of God saying, forget the former things. I am doing a new thing. And we went into December and said, we're going to dry some stuff up. We're going to change some things and we're going to make some things different and new in the new year. And so I just want to just want to say today, let's take that seriously and let's say, hey, sometimes we need to change our name. Sometimes we need to sever the six synapse that says, I've done this. I've been here. I was labeled that. I grew up this way. I was raised in this church. I was I was given these things, this set of beliefs, and I'm stuck with that. And that predicts what happens in the future so that my label predicts what happens to me in the future. And so Chris Hodges writes this chapter about the prayer of Jabez. And it really got to me because he's talking about how Jabez's prayer really wasn't asking God to make him rich and famous. It wasn't that. Jabez didn't want to settle for a life of pain. Hodges says, in ancient times, your name often defined you, possibly in a prophetic way, as you became what you had been labeled at birth. This tendency endures even now. Perhaps the role you played in childhood, the troublemaker, the clown, the bully, the outsider, has followed you into adulthood. But clearly, Jabez wasn't willing to settle for a life of pain, and neither should you. So what did Jabez do? Jabez prayed and received God's promise. And here's the model in the prayer. Chris Hodges wrote, he, he wanted, Jabez wanted to, instead of ruminating on the anguish, he wanted to fix his eyes on what God had for us, for him beyond it. And Hodges says this, Jabez was focused on God's good intentions for his life instead of being preoccupied with the past and the pain of his namesake. Remember Isaiah 43, forget the former things, see I am doing a new thing. 
And Jabez says, I want to focus on the fact that my God is good and he has good intentions for me instead of being preoccupied with the past and the pain that my mom labeled me with and and dosed me with when I was born. My parents gave me this pain name. I don't have to live with it. So what does the Bible say? First Chronicles 4.10, Jabez cried out to the God of Israel. And here's the prayer. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. Let your hand be with me and keep me from harm so that I will be free from pain. And God granted his request. First Chronicles 4.10. Notice Jabez asked four things of God. Blessing, influence, presence, and protection. Now, Hodges writes a whole chapter about that, and I don't want to go through the whole thing today. We're going to possibly, we're working with the publicist. We may be able to get Chris Hodges on the podcast to talk about his book, and it's amazing. Highly recommend Pray First. But I want you to see what Jabez is doing here, and I want you to understand it's not a formulaic prayer asking for wealth and pain-free life. It's not that. Jabez is asking God to help him be something better better and bigger and different than he was labeled to have been or that the previous steps of his life predicted that he would be. You see that? First, Jabez prays for God's favor. God bless me indeed. What a wonderful prayer for all of us to pray. You want God's hand of blessing because you've probably seen by now what it's like when you don't have it. When you're operating on your own, when you're when you're making decisions on your own, when you don't pray first, the kinds of messes that we can make of our own lives. The word bless me here d- derives from a Hebrew word called Barak, it's similar to our former president's name, Barak, except I don't think he was named after the Hebrew word. But Barak means in Hebrew to kneel and stoop down. It's not a it's not an exalted word. It's a it's a lowly humbling word. It's kneel and stoop down. Jabez is actually having the audacity here to ask God. He recognizes that he himself is in a low position. And he's asking God to come down to him and put his hand on him. So Jabez is literally asking the Lord to bend down and put his hand on him, to reach from heaven and touch his life on earth. Psalm 1835 has the same idea. You protect me with your saving shield. You support me with your right hand. You have stooped to make me great. Isaiah says the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He will rise to show you compassion, right? So so David says you have stooped to make me great. Jabez is saying, bend down, God, and take note of my life. Bend down and help me because I can't get up to where you are. What a wonderful prayer, friend. If you're hurting, if you're suffering, if your life has put labels on you and, you, and you're down in a hole and you don't know how to get out, ask God for the help to get out. Ask him to bend down, to, to barack toward you, to kneel and stoop down. He's saying, bless me indeed, Lord. Help me. Now, there's a lot of misunderstanding about this idea. When he says, bless me indeed, he's not saying, give me millions of dollars. He's not saying, do what I ask, do what I tell you to and fill up my bank account. He's asking God to impart supernatural favor and and blessing to help him in his life. When God stoops down to make you great, your life will overflow with abundance. Remember our our conversation the other day, that math formula I came up with out of John 10.10? Abundance is greater than steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it abundantly. So the A of his abundance is greater than the SKD of the enemy steal, kill, and destroy. So when he says abundance, I just want you to understand there's there's quantum physics magic in John 10.10. 
And not magic like some formula of the genie in the bottle, but there's some power and some juice for your life in that in that verse. Because quantum physics teaches us that an electron can literally be in two places at one time, or at least mathematically it can seem to be that way and behave that way. And Jesus is telling you that you can have the steal and kill and destroy of glioblastoma or of having the sheriff call and say that your son's been stabbed to death or to find out that you have you know, some lawsuit against you, or you can have the steal and kill and destroy of, of losing your wife or whatever terrible, massive thing comes along in your life. We're, we're praying for this couple in Lincoln. Mike is going through glioblastoma right now, and you can have a disease that's tearing up your body. But at the very same time, you can have the big, abundant life that Jesus promises you. I've seen it over and over and over with patients who are literally dying of their disease and they're coming alive at the same time with an abundant, vibrant life that teaches their kids that you can go through hard things and still be happy and still be hopeful and still tell a good story with the days that you have. You may not know how many, you may may not get to determine the number of the days that you have, but you can determine the quality of them. Right. So abundance is greater than steal, kill, and destroy. And this is another one of those passages. Jabez is saying, protect me, stoop down and help me. Bless me, Father. Impart your favor on me. So no matter what the circumstance looks like, I can have the abundance. No matter if the SKD shows up, I can have the A, right? God wants to bless you. It's in his nature. As a father who loves his children, he wants to bless you. Not so you can be rich, not so you can have a pain-free life, but so that you can have the hope of a redeemed eternal life and that you can have power and juice to shine the light on the path for other people and adorn the truth for them so that you can be a blessing to others. Genesis twelve twelve says that I will bless you so you can bless others, right? If you're not blessed, then your ability to bless others remains limited. If you're not living abundantly despite your circumstance, nobody else will see why they should be willing to follow Jesus either. So if you're not blessed, your ability to bless others is limited. And Chris Hodges says this, many people don't pray this way because they're too focused on their own pain instead of the needs of others. Some ask for blessing, but they really just want to compensate for past losses. They're really just trying to say, hey, get me out of this trouble. Help me overcome that loss. Help me fill up my bank account again. Give me more influence and more power and more wealth or whatever. That's that's just the, the downside of these prayers that sound like they're asking for prosperity. What you're really asking for is the ability to grab onto the abundance in the midst of this of steal and kill and destroy. Does that make sense? The second part of Jabez's prayer is enlarge my territory. That doesn't mean that he wants a bigger piece of land, okay? He was asking God for more influence. He was asking God for more ability to help people around him see the way. He was asking people to, to, he was asking God to grant him favor so that he could make a difference with those around him. And the same is true today. Hodges writes, once you have blessing, God wants to use you to make a difference as a conduit of his power and resource to advance his kingdom and impact lives for eternity. God's not interested in you being richer. He's interested in you using what he gives you to help other people find their way to him. Because that's the only hope that any of us have. People who pray the power of influence are the happiest people around because they're asking God to make them more effective witnesses to his work and his kingdom. And yes, sometimes that might produce wealth. Sometimes it might produce 
fame. But if, if God gives you those things, it's not because he's trying to say how great you are and how much you deserve a private jet. He's trying to say, I'm giving you this because you're going to have doors open to you that can be used to advance my kingdom. Okay? There's some people that just drip excellence. Like everything they do, God seems to prosper and bless. Chris Hodges is one of those people. He just, the guy's just excellent. The way he does things, and just he operates in an excellent way. Why? Because he puts his life in a prayer first mode. And he asks God to everything that happens to be used to advance his kingdom. And it just happens. The Tata's like that. Like the guy's not wealthy, but he's powerful. He is successful. He is influential. People notice him, take note of him, and change because of his wisdom, because he always turns it back to God, right? He lives for something bigger than himself. So that's what Jabez's prayer of enlarge my territory is about. Christine Kane writes a um, first things first devotional every morning that I read. It's one of the one of the things that I do every day, John Swanson, Christine Kane. Um, I replaced um, John Piper with Christine Kane because I, I read all of John Piper for years and years and years, and they circulate back and forth. And I finally decided I needed to expand my territory a little bit, Jabez, and I started reading Christine Kane a while back. And today she wrote, it's interesting that this is today's um, episode or that today's blog from her, Isaiah 54, talks about enlarging your space. So God told the Israelites to build bigger tents. He says, enlarge the side of your tent to make room for more children. Stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spare them. Lengthen your tent ropes and make your pegs firm in the ground for you will spread out to the right and the left and your descendants will take possession of nations and inhabit deserted cities. God told them, this is a literal expansion of territory. God said, you need to build a bigger house because I'm getting ready to bless your life. You need to to do something bigger than you've done in the past. Even though you can't see it now, I'm getting ready to do something in your life that's going to require you to have more room. So you better start spreading out. So you, you start embracing the promise before it comes true. Okay, so in a literal sense, God told the Israelites he was getting ready to do a physical thing that they would need to be more to be ready to have more room because they were going to have more kids and more land and all of that stuff. But in a spiritual sense, God's calling us to do the same thing. Ask him for more influence. Ask him for more territory. Ask him for more ground to cover so that he can, no matter what age you are, he can do something bigger in your life because he wants you to be a conduit to help other people be blessed and to see him and follow him and perhaps reach out, as Paul said in Acts, reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. People who pray that prayer of influence are saying, God, I'm ready to be used by you for whatever thing you have for me, how big or how small, right? That's what Jabez was about. Paul in Ephesians 1.18 said, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. Listen, he's God. If you're a poor person, if you're struggling to make ends meet right now, friend, know that you have a rich eternal heritage in the, with the king of kings and a seat at his table. And I want you to have the hope of that. So your life here may be about helping other people find their seat at that table. And the reward that you get on the back end in, in eternity is going to be great. And Paul says, I want you to have a hope. I want you to have eyes to see that path that you're on that leads to eternal life, the hope to which he's called you and the riches of his glorious inheritance, the riches of his glorious inheritance. So the vision is bigger than current status. 
the eyes of your heart, enlarges your vision for downstream reward that can get you the hope and the juice that you need to take the steps that you need to go through the hard stuff here. The abundance of his life is greater than the steal, kill, and destroy of your own life that the enemy is trying to take from you. Does that make sense? Chris Hodges says, praying for influence is one of the most important prayers you can pray when you're willing to pray, Lord, show me my calling. Show me the legacy you want me to leave. You discover the joy of significance and contentment. Knowing and living out your purpose gives your life meaning. So friend, that's what I want to leave you with today. So this idea that God wants you to pray bigger prayers, to dream bigger things. Now, not material things, but he wants you to have influence. He wants you to help other people find the path, to be a person who says, you know what, I made it through yesterday and it was super hard, and I'm going to help somebody else make it through today. When you've gone through some great loss, to say, hey, here's, here's the step I took that helped me get from A to B, and I can show you that same thing. Or, hey, I was lost and now I'm found. And let me help you find the the path that I'm on. Let, let, Let me help you see this Savior who changed my mind so I could change my life. Isn't that incredible? That's what the prayer of Jabez is about. It's about, hey, I want to change my name. I was born and birthed in pain. My my parents prophesied hardship and pain over me. And God, I want something different than that. Bless me indeed. I don't want to be pain. I want to be promise. Expand my territory, stretch out my tent, help me to have more influence, help me to help other people see you, and help me to be able to live a life that has a different name on it. I might have been called pain, but I'm going to be promise, I'm going to be power, I'm going to be purpose. I'm going to start today. That's what Jabez is about, okay? You could go on and on and on forever. This is a long long series of things you could draw from this short little passage in the middle of First Chronicles. But the, the bottom line is it's about presence and purpose and grabbing onto promise and taking whatever God has in store for you and expanding it and being a good steward of it, okay? It's not health and wealth. And Chris Hodges says one thing that I want to leave you with today. We change our name. We cut, we cut that synapse of what the past has put on us. And we say, God, rename me and refocus me and realign me and repurpose me so that I'm in line with you. Because Hodges says praying isn't about God moving toward you. Prayer is about you moving toward God. But holding your arms up so he can stoop down, you can grab on him and he can pull you out of that pit. That's what it's about. I'm going to pray Tom I'm going to play Tommy Walker's song Have Mercy on Me. It's been a kind of a Tommy Walker week on the podcast. I've been uh, just kind of really kind of spending time in his hymns and and some of his music and and uh, I think this Have Mercy on Me is a great way to finish off this episode. Self brain surgery Saturday. You're not stuck with the past. Forget the former things. See, I'm doing a new thing, he says. Take the scissors, take the micro scissors and do some self brain surgery and cut the synapse that the that your life has labeled you whether it was from your upbringing or events or things that you've gone through or circumstances that have happened, you've accepted some labels that you don't have to accept anymore. Jabez says, I don't want to be labeled with pain anymore. I want you to bless me, expand me, protect me, shield me, grow me, stretch me, and I'm willing to change with you, and I'm willing to start today. Myself. 
Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.